So, uh, yeah, there's a summary uh, of love uh, right there in the Bible. I wonder if you just take a, a moment to uh, talk to the people next to you. You might need to introduce yourself to them. Uh, and uh, would you just uh, answer this question? I imagine being down uh, in Sheffield City Centre in the moor just down the road there, uh, shopping, people have uh, shopping on a Saturday, and you've got your clipboard there, you've got one question, you stop passers-by, and you ask that one question, what kind of answers do you think you'd get? And the question is, what is love? Have a chat about that, and we'll just get our minds thinking about that. What is love? What do you think the world out there thinks love is? Okay, uh, that's, uh, that's long enough uh, for you to be doing that. <clears throat> we could uh, uh, fill the whole evening uh, discussing the issue. Uh, and uh, the point of doing that is just to get our minds and our hearts engaging uh, with the whole idea of love. Because we're turning to God's word now and we want to hear what he has to say about love. Uh, and we certainly want our hearts open to what he has to say, what he wants to encourage us with this evening. Uh, this letter of 1 John was written to genuine Christians, to real believers, real believers who actually doubted that they were genuine Christians. Uh, it seems that some loved and respected members of their church, probably leaders, had left the church, and that unsettled and confused those who had been left behind. They felt spiritually left behind what did the leavers know that they didn't know had they missed out on some sort of special knowledge of god that the leavers had got had the leavers got some sort of special experience of the lord god that they that they hadn't got what was wrong with them what's wrong with us uh, and uh, questions begin to arise in their minds and their hearts Maybe we aren't the true Christians after all. They were deeply unsettled, spiritually unsettled in their hearts. And uh, John, who wrote John's Gospel as well, writes this letter to reassure them uh, and uh, written to them for us. Uh, God inspired the Bible by his Holy Spirit, so it's for us as well uh, to be reminded and reassured in our hearts this evening of the very solid spiritual foundations that we have. The goal of this letter is to strengthen your heart, to build you up in your faith, which is absolutely the real thing, the genuine article. That's what's going on here, stirring up genuine faith. You are on the right tracks. Please would you just note John's repeated phrase. It's four times in this section of the letter. The first time it comes in the last verse, we were, some of us were looking at last week. Uh, and then it's uh, it through this uh, through uh, this section, uh, and then just a little bit beyond uh, where uh, Pete read for us this evening. The phrase is, "By this we know, we know, you know." John wants his readers to know. He actually wants them to know that they know, to be reassured in their hearts. So look at verse ten. By this it is evident we know who are the children of God. Uh, verse 16, by this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us. Uh, verse 19, by this we shall know that we are of the truth 
and reassure our hearts before him. So that's what it's, there is, there's his aim right there. But you know that in your heart you are properly, deeply reassured. And it's repeated in verse 24 as well, halfway through. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given to us. So there we are, the little helicopter ride around the passage. Now we're going to land now uh, and a little bit, look a bit more closely at verses 11 to 18. But may you, may we be reassured in our faith as God speaks to us through his word. Two things about genuine Christians. Number one, genuine Christians love God's family. True believers love the family of God. Very plain in verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another in God's family. Love one another. But what is love? That question. What is love? How would we define true love? What does it look like? How does it act? John says what it's not, first of all. Uh, sometimes it's always good to put a negative in there. This is not what it means because the negative helps to define the positive. By saying what it isn't, we see more clearly what it is. Uh, and uh, it seems that uh, John is doing a little bit of that now. In verse 12, he gives a negative. This is what it isn't. Verse 12, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Uh, so this takes us way back to the beginning of the Bible, to Genesis chapter 4, and to Adam and Eve's sons, Cain and Abel. Those brothers made sacrifices of worship to God, and one of the boy's sacrifices was received and welcomed by the Lord God. That was Abel's sacrifice was accepted, and Cain's wasn't. And the Bible doesn't tell us why God accepted Abel's and not Cain's. It was God's choice. Uh, but the Bible's very clear about Cain being very unhappy about that, and that's an understatement. Uh, we're told in Genesis 4 that his face was downcast and he was very angry. And in a fit of rage, he murdered his brother. And verse 12 says he murdered him because his deeds were evil. You know, what happened with God accepting, not accepting his brother's sacrifice and not his revealed where Cain's heart was. A moment came along that jostled him and suddenly the reality of who he was was clear basically Cain envied his brother he hated his brother uh, and the fact that his brother had done well before God and he hadn't he hated that God chose his brother's offering and not his so murder began with envy and hatred in his heart and very few would go as far as Cain's physically went uh, but Jesus basically says that, that, says that there is no difference at all between a hateful heart and homicide. What's going on is the same. And so coming up on the screen, uh, Matthew 5, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says this, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, but whoever murders will be liable for whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, Jesus says, that everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his sister or his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says, you fool, 
will be liable to the hell of fire. So, and John reminds us of, of Jesus' teaching right there. Look at verse 15. Everyone who hates his sister or brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in her or in him. See, murder happens when someone sees no value in another. They are trivial. They are unimportant. They are worthless. They are dispensable. Uh, murder is an act of contempt for another human being. I mean, the reason why it's so serious is human beings are in God's image. So it is absolute contempt, not just for another person, but for the image of God in that person. Saying, hmm. And hate basically despises someone else with exactly, exactly the same kind of contempt. Hatred in the heart and homicide both both once rid of another person. That's what Jesus links them. So come back to Cain and ourselves. How do we react when we hear news of someone else's good fortune? Are we do we rejoice and go, yay? Or do we go, ah, oh, I wish that happened to me? How come I didn't get that job? How come they did so well in that exam and I I failed? I I would I would dearly love to be good at but that person's so much better than me. We're not rejoicing, are we, in what God has blessed others with? We are despising what somebody else has because we're envious and envy can so easily slip to, to hatred. Someone else's business success that we'd love to have, but it's never happened to us. The fruitfulness of someone else's ministry when ours just seems like an impossible slog. How come my area of work just doesn't seem as fruitful or as successful as them over there. News of a friend's engagement when you've been longing to marry for a long, long time. Listen, I, I'm, I'm not trying to pick on anyone. I'm just picking up the reality of what goes on in our hearts. And we do, we do envy when something good happens to somebody else. And we go, should have been me. We're kind of saying, what are, you, what are you doing in life to receive that? So he easily turns to hatred and despising somebody. What, what is it that we are passionate about, that we long for, that we love? And then we come across somebody else who's blessed in a way that we're not. How do we react? What is in our hearts in those moments? See, our lives are... are like cups, and uh, there's something in our cup. Uh, there was something in Cain's cup, uh, and um, that wasn't revealed when he was doing his wonderful sacrifice to God. Well, hey, look at me, worshipping the living God. But as soon as God sort of accepting his brother, suddenly his cup is joggled, and the reality of what was in his heart, even when he was making the sacrifice, suddenly spills out. Things happen to us in life, and they jog our hearts and suddenly 
what's in there all along is revealed. We see what's, what's there. Is it love or envy and hate? Verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the family. Whoever does not love still abides in death. See, God, God has transformed us and moved us from death to life. He's made us new. Genuine Christians now love God's family. And, and it, it's not a case of must try harder to try and prove it and give the evidence. It's that the Lord has changed us. We'll go on and see. He's come into our lives and he's transformed us. And we begin to love, as we move secondly, do we begin to love like Jesus? God has changed us. It's not about perfection. It's about direction of travel. Genuine Christians love like Jesus. That's our second point. Because Jesus come into our hearts to transform us. Uh, just a, a few weeks ago, we were just thinking about the way that we, we think about our Christian discipleship and how well we're doing or how badly we think we are doing. And uh, we had a dartboard up on the screen there and up on the screen over there. And we kind of thought that sometimes in our Christian lives, we think that our discipleship is a little bit like darts. And the point is to try and get as near to the bullseye in the middle of the dartboard as possible. And some people are really good. Boom, right there on the red bullseye or in the 25 just outside of it. They look like they're doing well. And we know people who are like that. And there are other people who are somewhere in the three. They're, they're on the dartboard. I mean, and then you throw yours and you, you're, well, you're in the skirting board. You don't even hardly get, and, and, and others, you know, you're somewhere between where you were stood and the wall. Just, I mean, pathetically useless in your spiritual walk. But Christian discipleship is not static. It's not about where you are. It's the direction of travel. You see, you could be like the older brother in Jesus' parable of the prodigal son, and you can be sticking with your father, with the Lord God, and be right near to the red in the middle of the dartboard, but your heart's gone cold, and you're actually moving away from God. Although to the impression is, you look like you're near, but you're, no, you're moving. And you might be right you know, halfway between where you were stood and the wall and just got nowhere. But you know you want to move. Jesus is in your heart. You want to grow more like him. You want to love like he loves. Genuine Christians love like Jesus loves. Verse 16, by this we know love, that he, Jesus, lay down his life for us. Jesus' death on the cross is the ultimate example of love. It demonstrates the vast scale of God's love. God had only one son, and he sent him. Sent him into a rebellious world to redeem and to reconcile us. Uh, and uh, God's son, Jesus, when he came, he freely, willingly, compassionately, humbly, servant-heartedly chose to go to the cross I mean, he, he there in the Garden of Gethsemane, he, he wept and agonized over it and said, you know, I will, I will go. I choose to go. And when he did die upon that cross to redeem and reconcile us by that, by that death, it was a sacrifice 
an atoning sacrifice. This meant that he took upon himself all of our guilt, all the guilt of those who trust him, all of our shame, uh, the shame of every sinful child and woman and man who puts their faith in Jesus. And it meant that he carried the, the anger of God in himself, quenching it in himself, so that we need not experience that. The Lord Jesus' love is a love that sacrifices and forgives and that goes deeper than sorrow and sin and death itself. It, it restores, it cleanses, it heals, it reconciles, it makes us completely new. And all those things are symbolized in baptism. Washing and being clean and the old life dying and the new life and resurrection ahead and love being the way, not hatred. Down into the water, hatred died and buried and we come out to love. To love like Jesus who loved us, which baptism symbolizes. Uh, here's uh, how uh, great author J.I. Packer puts it. I quoted this at our praise and prayer meeting back in September. The work of God for us in our hearts, the heart of love into our hearts, bringing love there. To know that from eternity, my maker, foreseeing my sin, foreloved me and resolved to save me, though it would be at the cost of Calvary. To know that the divine son was appointed from eternity to be my saviour and that in love he became man for me and died for me and now lives to intercede for me and would one day come in person to take me home. To know that the Lord who loved me and gave himself for me, who laid down his life for me, has by his spirit raised me from spiritual death to life-giving union and communion with himself and has promised to hold me fast and never let me go. And, and each of the persons baptized today testified that that's what they knew, that Jesus would hold them. This knowledge brings overwhelming gratitude and joy. It changes our hearts. God changes us and transforms us. Verse 23 and 24. Uh, and this is the commandment that we believe in the name of the Son, of his Son, Jesus Christ, uh, and believing him, we love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandment abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given to us. So, yeah, we... Um, we trust him uh, and uh, we learn to love and love love isn't just sort of a practical thing it is ever so practical but it is felt it does mean actually feeling stuff for others you know sometimes we say i i don't have to like you but i do love you i just think that's rubbish if you love someone you learn to like them you know it means it's from the heart we're talking here about the Spirit of God coming into us and abiding in us. That changes us. Don't come up with sort of empty, pathetic little phrases like, you know, I love you, but I don't have to like you. Sorry. That's, that's not what God's done for you. He set his love upon you. Didn't hold back. He feels for you. He's come into your heart. You want to love others in the way that he has loved you that's perfect love the love of jesus genuine christian love loves like jesus look again at verse 16 and we ought to lay down 
our lives for the family. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. We are sheep, as John 10 verse 11. So love does not take another's life in thought, word or deed. That's the contrast. Remember Cain? Love does not rob another. That's hate. Hate robs another of their life, of their worth. It does it in word. It does it in thought. It does it in the heart. It does it in deed. Uh, and who murdered his brother Abel. Love is like Jesus. It gives its own life that others might live. It's the exact opposite, isn't it? Hate takes a life, disposes of somebody. Love gives my life so that others might live. And that's the work that's done in our hearts by the Lord Jesus Christ. And just in case we really get stuck with the magnitude of such love and we ought to love everyone and think, wow, so big. And we can even begin to think, well, yeah, I do love it. And, and before we get sort of too airy-fairy in that kind of a way, verse 17 and 18, uh, you know, sort of, if I you know, think of plane landing sort of analogy, sort of uh, John sort of lands the plane of love very abruptly, he kind of like, you know, hits the tarmac quite hard with being very practical in terms of what love is, verse 17. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his family, his brother or sister in need, yet closes his or her heart against these others, how does God's love abide in him or her? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Love in word and deed. That's the kind of love that God has brought into our hearts and that he expects to see in his children. Being prepared to give without any thought of return just as Jesus gave in that way to you and to me. Being prepared to give without first weighing up the worthiness of the person who's going to receive. Jesus didn't do that. He's so unworthy, he gave for you. Being prepared for love, to love to impact my diary, to impact my finances, my belongings, my time, my energy. I think time's a big issue here because we often live very, very busy lives that we don't actually have time to stop and think. Uh, and um, I was hearing about some research earlier this week that was done uh, of uh, two groups of people. Uh, one group of people heard a sermon about the Good Samaritan uh, and God's love, and one group of people didn't hear about the sermon. They heard something else in a lecture. Uh, and outside afterwards, there was a guy an actor pretending to be drunk uh, and really in disarray and homeless uh, and whatever. And the response to this individual was the same between those who had heard the sermon about love and those who hadn't. But they did analyze a little bit more about the people who did stop to care. And those are the people who arrived early. They had time. Sometimes we're in such a rush, we just, we just don't, don't stop. There's a fellow who comes to our morning service. He, he says he doesn't ever remember saying his name's Andy Stavell. He talks about baggy time. We need baggy time. We, I mean, and just, you know, coming to church in time means you're likely to see people who might need help. You can listen, talk to them. 
we come late and then rush out, but we're not making time. So it's just something about the management of our time, making space for our hearts to do what our hearts want to do. And always rushing from one thing to another. Allowing love to flow out from us. Uh, verse uh, 17, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother, sister in need, yet closes his or her heart against the brother or sister, how does God's love abide in him? Uh, really good that Louise prayed for a team of people who are just thinking about how we care uh, for members of our church. In our morning congregation, we have 40 or more folks seeking asylum in this country, people who've got nothing. Uh, and when they get leave to remain, they get moved out of the houses they've been given to live in and they, they become homeless. How do we help? And so we're talking about that. It's very practical, isn't it? Very practical, but that's where it's at for our church right now. So pray for that little team of people who are thinking about it. Figure out a way of helping us to to love. Here's uh, Paul David Tripp um, on love. I quoted this at the Praise and Prayer meeting in October. Love calls you beyond the borders of your own wants, needs, and feelings. Love calls you to lay down your life in ways that are concrete and specific. Love calls you to serve, to wait, to give, to suffer, to forgive, and to do all these things again and again. Love calls you to be silent when you want to speak and to speak when you really want to be silent. Love calls you to stop when you really want to continue and it calls you to continue when you just feel like stopping. Love again and again calls you away from your instincts and your comfort. Love always requires personal sacrifice. Love calls you to give up your life. So let me draw things to a conclusion. We're, we're, not, we're not talking about perfection here. We're talking about direction, travel. Where is your heart? You, if you're a Christian, you have a new heart. And those who have been baptized today, now we've heard about your hearts. We've heard from your hearts, your passion to serve and to love and to follow Jesus. Uh, and... Um, you didn't have to wait to be perfect to be baptized. You said that. Uh, and you carry on tonight with a sense of just knowing Jesus in you and where you are is where we all are as believers. You've got to choose that direction of travel to reflect and remember what a privilege it is to know what the Lord has done for us, to be reassured in our hearts by his Holy Spirit that we are his, that we are loved by him, and then to venture out, keep venturing out, to, to step out, to, to love others. Uh, and um, I mean, I, I've taken time just earlier today, earlier this week, to just think about the church that I'm a part of. Um, and so, yeah, I, I just want to mirror some things back to you. All right, this is you. Because sometimes we go, oh, no, it doesn't sound very assuring, reassuring this. But I want to I give you some feedback, things that I've observed, why 
I like being a member of this church because of you. And if you're a guest amongst us, just listen in as I share some things for, just from my own heart, things I've watched. I, I watched somebody one day sit a homeless man on the wall across the road there and take off his shoes to wash his feet. They were very, very sore, very broken, very dirty and very smelly. And he used the bowl from the kitchen. And I said, Louise, next day, what happened to that kitchen bowl? Because Louise used to be our administrator. She goes, oh, really? He says, right, he replaced the bowl too. Such a tender thing. Uh, there's a member of our church. She's just a really passionate into football, just loves a particular team, just nuts about this team, uh, almost idolatrous, and that, that person would admit it. Uh, and, um, you know, used to be quite critical of asylum seekers coming to this country. Would have voted UKIP in the day. Quite stunning to hear this individual invite someone who doesn't have a tally to his house to watch the other guy's football whilst his own match is on at the same time. Seriously? That's, that's really little, but really big, isn't it? Fantastic. People helping provide meals just in moments of crisis when a baby's born or something else happens. The number of people faithfully sticking with those who are in trouble over some crisis or rather over a long period of time and just sticking with them and not being judgmental. And sometimes we just need people who will walk. We, don't, we know that people can't save us from a situation. God might, and sometimes it just takes ages, but we do want someone just to walk with. That's our, I see that. Time and time again, people just walking with others and sometimes a lot of people just don't know what's going on but the friend two or three friends just keeping on walking someone giving up an evening to help somebody else knowing full well that they have had to change their plans and they can no longer spend their evening with friends friends are not seen for a while missing out or catching up because there's someone else sacrificing actually but it's love it seems small but it's love practical kindness um, just getting involved in the Christmas appeal uh, that each year stuns me but you never know who's done what it just somehow there is a blessing in giving and I see that each year amongst you and they sort of look what are we did or look what I did just love happening and um, just a number of people who say, yeah, yes, I can do that. Uh, I remember uh, asking someone to do what I thought was probably one of the dullest jobs in church at the time uh, uh, and saying to this individual, you know, uh, would you, uh, it means a lot of filing. And I'm thinking, oh, I, I mean, I hate filing. A lot of admin things. I don't know. Oh, dear. Uh, and this person said, yeah, I can do that. I love filing. Wow. And they just got on and done it. Giving their time. Serving. Just a number of volunteers getting involved in a whole load of ways. 
uh, we got some new graffiti out and being tagged again uh, on the, on the front of our building. Uh, I guess you don't know, or you don't probably unless it's you, you don't know who's tagged the building. But I guess you don't know who gets rid of it either, do you? Someone does. Does it pretty quickly, don't they? Okay, just kind, just brilliant, isn't it? Someone doing that. So yeah, there we are. I I, I see love in all sorts of practical ways. It's one of the. I want you to go and think. Oh, hang on, this really beating us over the head with loving like Jesus. It's big, but so, no, we see it actually. We feel it. We experience it uh, around us in in the way because God. God has changed hearts. People are different. Things are seen, noticed. So let's say, let's keep praying uh, that the Lord would keep changing us. Verse 23, 24. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given to us. Well, let's uh, just spend a moment of quiet, shall we? And um, if the musicians could come out and be ready to lead us.